Up next on Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska. I think we can fly that thing. And, and Ken says, yeah, you should be able to. I said, really, you think so? He said, yeah. And he said, the smartest thing I ever heard anybody say, well, who do you think taught the first people to fly? Richard Dickman and his brother learn how to fly while flying, and Ryan learns how background checks are done up here in Alaska. They ask, you know, have you ever seen anything suspicious over at their house? Or have you ever seen, you know, see car, a lot of cars coming and going? Have you ever heard him talk about overthrowing the United States government? <laughs> Lessons learned. Up next on Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska, I'm Rob Prince. I fell in love with flying when I was 12 years old and was lucky to have parents who were supportive enough and had sufficient spare cash that they allowed me to take flying lessons when I was just 16. I had my first solo lesson after about seven hours of flight instruction and a whole semester worth of ground school, and it was still a pretty terrible first solo. The takeoff was fine. That's the easy part because airplanes don't need a lot of encouragement to fly. It was the landing, however, that was pretty embarrassing. It wasn't my fault. The airplane was having so much fun that it didn't want to land. It literally took three tries before that Piper Tomahawk would agree to touch down. For those non-pilots out there, you can kind of imagine the difference between taking off and landing an airplane this way. Which is easier, pulling a dart out of the bullseye of a dartboard or throwing it into it? That's the difference between taking off and landing an airplane. Knowing how hard it is to land an airplane, even after hours of instruction, is what made our next story so incredible to me. I honestly still can't believe these guys survived their absolutely insane first flight, but somehow they did, and I'm so grateful one of them, Richard Dickman, was willing to share this story with us at our March 2023 live event in Fairbanks. Here's Richard. I kind of grew up in the Two Rivers community out at 20 Mile Teen Hot Springs Road. And I was working for High Pass Observatory out there. And one day my uncle, Larry, he's a pilot, has a couple planes, called me up, said, hey, uh, this friend of mine won a uh, plane from the Flying Lions, and he already has two or three planes. He doesn't need it. He said he'd sell it for 5000 You want a plane? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take a plane. <laughs> so uh, I called my brother. Dan and said, hey, I'm buying this plane from my uncle, and if you help me keep it running, if you help me keep it running and maintenance it, we can both get our license in it. And he says, yeah, that sounds good. See, Larry had taken us both for a ride flying, um, fishing one time, and kind of got us interested when we were younger. It's the only time we'd ever actually been in a small plane. So we coaxed Larry into bringing it out to the high pass runway. And we, and we had a runway out there. It wasn't, wasn't a good one, but we had a runway. And he didn't have any problem. He landed, the, he landed the plane on the runway. And we tied it, picked a place to tie it down. And the plan was uh, Dan and I would meet up there on the weekends when I wasn't working. And we'd clean it up, get it ready, and then get lined up with an instructor. And then we'd start taking lessons. So, and Dan lived in a different place, so we'd just meet there like on Saturday, and we start cleaning it up, and the first thing we found was a manual just like this one. And I dug it out, and he'd take it home one night, I'd take it home one night, and we'd read this manual. It's only uh, 40 pages, so it's not like there's a lot. 
And the manual also has changing the oil, weight and balance, has all the other stuff, but it has a few pages of learning to, not learning, but how the plane worked. And so, and if think about it, this was 35 years ago. There was no Google. This is all we had. So, and we didn't have any friends other than my uncle, and we couldn't be asking him how to learn to fly. So, so we start playing with the plane, and we got bored with cleaning it pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, pretty soon, we decided to drive it around like a go-kart. <laughs> so, so... So th this is a Piper Tri-Pacer. It's a four-place, has two front seats, but it only has one door. The door would be on the passenger side like a car. And so I was smaller than Dan, and so I would jump across, get in the other seat, and then he'd get in that seat. And there was two steering wheels, two sets of foot controls, and between the steering wheels was the throttle and the brake, which was mostly what you needed. And the steering wheels were tied together and that's a good idea most of the time because if one of you got in trouble, then the other one could take over. But mine and Dan's history was when uh, we got our license, our driver's license, Dad had a logging truck. And Dad had let us drive the logging truck to the store, to our friends. And there were a few times when we found ourselves in the ditch fighting over who was turn it was to drive out in the brush. And so if that ever happened while we were flying the plane, that could be a real problem. So we, we start taxiing back and forth, and at one point I pulled the steering wheel all the way back. When I did, I lost sight of the runway. And I thought, oh, that's not good. So the next week, I brought my pillow with me from home, threw it in the seat, jump in the seat. I'd sit a little taller that, that this time, and we're doing it again, and I pulled the, pulled the steering all the way back, and I didn't lose sight of the runway, so problem fixed. And so... We're going back and forth, taking turns, you know, like we should. And um, at one point, the plane came off the ground. Came off the ground, it scared us, put the plane back down. Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah, I did, I felt that. It was kind of scary, but it was kind of exciting. And so we kept doing it, we kept doing it, going back and forth, and pretty soon we get where we could hold it in the air about a second or two. The, the runway, so the runway is, it's only 900 feet long. And one end of the runway towards Fairbanks, uh, it had 30-foot trees right at the end of the runway. And, it, and uh, the, going towards Chena Hot Springs, it was marsh and brush, and 400 feet out, there were 50-foot trees. And this thing was, uh, when, when I first started there, we, it, this was just a road. And on the right side, of, on the north side of the road, high-voltage power came in, and every 400 feet, there'd be a three-foot box on post, a steel box. Power come in, power go out, 400 feet up, another box. And this box was only like two to three feet from the edge of the, the gravel. And then behind the box was all trees. So we widened this runway to the, to the south, 30 feet. But for some reason, we never graveled the, the dirt, so it was just silt. And over the years, people driving in it, when it was wet, it was just nasty ruts. So if you wanted to... If you wanted to uh, be, as a pilot, if you want to fly on this runway, you really, you had to keep your tires on the road, and that puts your wingtip right next to these boxes. Right next to the boxes, and if you went past the box, you're in the trees. So, we go through the manual, the, the, the wingspan on the plane's 30 feet long, so our wingtip is right there. So we're getting good, we're getting good at picking it up, dropping it. And we finally learned, if you, if you take the plane all the way to the end, turn around, if you hold the brake, you push it, give it full throttle, 
And then once the engine's up to speed, you let off the brake, you could get about four seconds in the air. <laughs> it don't seem like much, but it was enough <laughs> to, get, to get the hang of the steering wheel going forward and back and, and making the plane. You're only about two feet off the ground, so. But you didn't dare even try to turn. You just, you'd, you'd hit everything. <laughs> so we got good, we got confident. We got, we got pretty confident, and I told Dan, I think we can fly this thing. And he, and he said, uh-huh, we, I think we can. <laughs> so we left. When we left that day, um, on our way out, it was, it, so this is, a, this is a university site, and we had a bunkhouse, and there was a caretaker staying in the bunkhouse from out of state. And when Dan pulled out first, Ken was standing on the steps of the bunkhouse. And so, and he watched Dan pull out, so I pulled over to tell him, hey, it's just Dan and I, we're dinking with the plane, and uh, there's nobody else on site, I'll have to get on my way out. He said, all right, and then I started to tell him, you know, we've been, we've been taking off with the plane and flying it a little bit. I, th I think we can fly that thing. And, and Ken says, yeah, you should be able to. I said, really, you think so? He said, yeah. And he said, the smartest thing I ever heard anybody say, well, who do you think taught the first people to fly? <laughs> and I thought about that. All week long, I thought about that. And I was thinking, well, the Wright brothers, they didn't have an instructor. They didn't even have a manual. And we had a manual. So I, always, I thought, if the Wright brothers could do it, so could the Dickman brothers do it. So we get down there that next Saturday, and it's a nice day. We came in the gate, and this time I closed the gate, locked the gate because we don't want anybody coming in here like an idiot and making us crash. <laughs> we want this to be safe. <laughs> so we got in the plane and we zipped back and forth a couple of times, lifted up, make sure we remembered everything from last week. And we were as good as we were a week ago. <laughs> so um, I told Dan that the wind is coming a little from, the, from Fairbanks direction, so we have to take off over those 30-foot trees. And uh, we know this because it says it in the manual. <laughs> so we went down to the inn uh, facing Chino Hot Springs, turned around, and we stopped, and we're, you know, we're thinking about it, you know, probably trying to get our nerves up. And actually, this happened 35 years ago, and the statute of limitations should be up on this, and, but <laughs> if you work for FAA and you don't think it is, this would be a good time for you to leave. <laughs> so I asked Dan, are you ready? He said, yep. So I held the brake, give it full throttle, and the plane's shaking. I even leaned out the motor a little to get a couple hundred RPM, and then I let go of the brake. Man, we took off. Took off fast. We took off faster than the last time, but we only had about an hour's worth of fuel, so it was a little lighter than before. And by the time we got to that junction box, the one that was right in the middle, that was our, that was our, um, where if we if we were on the ground at that point, you have to stop. Or if you're if you're in if you're in the air and you hit that spot, you can't stop. You don't have enough runway left to stop. And we were 10, 15 feet in the air by the time we got to that box. And so 
when the plane, when we got there, we're angled and we're definitely going to go over those trees, but when we got to that height, something happened and the plane started to settle and something we hadn't felt. We'd only been two feet off the ground. We had no idea. <laughs> and there was, there was something that wasn't in the manual and it's, call, and it's, and it's called ground effect. <laughs> ground effect is if the wings are within a half of its span from the ground and the wings start to make lift, it causes pressure against the ground and it causes a higher pressure so the plane can actually take off faster than it can fly as long as you're in ground effect. As soon as you get out of ground effect, you get to find out if you're flying fast enough. <laughs> and we weren't flying fast enough. <laughs> so we're heading for the tree now. Now, it, we didn't go down, but it, we're heading straight at the tree. There's no, we have no choice but to try to get over those trees. And we're heading right at him. And right when we got, just before the trees, I pulled back all the way and the plane just hopped and it just barely cleared those trees, got over the other side. Got over this side and started climbing, and I just froze. Just, I just locked up. It was, it was that moment in time. People get that. You get a, uh, you do something that is, you know, traumatizing or whatever. You, you, people have this moment in time. This was my moment in time. <laughs> you know, we're 60 feet in the air. We're doing 60, 70 miles an hour, and we're climbing. And we'd never been more than two feet off the ground. <laughs> and up we go. And I just kind of froze, in a, like in a trance, and climbing, and pretty soon I saw the Shonja's potato field over here getting smaller, smaller, and I saw the tax store and Valley Center over here getting smaller and smaller. And we just kept climbing, and I just held on. And I'm sure Dan was doing the same thing. <laughs> I didn't even want to look. And I kept climbing and climbing, and then finally I realized, oh my God, we are way in the air. And uh, I kind of snapped out of it, and I thought, we gotta, we got to stop climbing. We're getting, we figured we were about 1,000 feet up. And uh, so based on back at, the, back, at the, back at the runway, I pushed the wheel over forward because that's what makes it stop climbing or going down. Started, I dropped the nose, and the speed went 90, 100, 110, 120, and the, the tack started getting close to red line, so I backed the tack off. And I noticed the air, the climb indicator starting to get to zero and they're starting to get a hold of it, starting to get more comfortable. But we're heading right to Fairbanks. <laughs> we're heading right to Fairbanks International. <laughs> and I told Dan, man, we don't want to cross Fairbanks International. That's going to be a real problem. <laughs> so we got turn. We'll be back with more of Richard Dickman's story in just a moment. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Lessons Learned episode. I'm Rob Prince. Those of you who were at our live event in March heard the news that I am stepping down as the host of the Dark Winter Nights live events. I'm going to be moving back to Michigan this summer, where I grew up and where my family still lives. However, the live show will continue, and I am happy to announce that longtime Dark Winter Nights executive producer and storyteller alum, Brittany Carnes, will be taking over as host. You're going to love her as host because she's way less annoying than I am. <laughs> I will continue to host the radio show and podcast, however... 
because, as they say, I've got a face for radio. So it's a time of exciting transition for Dark Winter Nights, and I'm so glad that Brittany has stepped up to take my place on stage. If you'd like to see her hosting debut, our next live event will be Saturday, November 18, at 7 o'clock p.m. in Herring Auditorium. You can get more information and subscribe to our newsletter for updates at darkwinternights.com. When we left Richard's story, he and his brother were on their way towards Fairbanks International Airport in an airplane that they didn't know how to fly. (laughs) Here's Richard. Back at the runway, the steering wheel didn't do anything on the ground. All it did was, the only thing that turned it was the the pedals. So I, I, you know, same as the runway, I gave it right pedal. The plane slid to the right, threw me against the, the wall, it threw Dan against me, and I'm like, what? So I let off and I immediately pushed it to the left and it threw Dan against the door and it threw me against Dan. And I'm like, crap, now what? And I go, wait a minute, it's time to use the steering wheel. So without thinking, I just turned the steering wheel and the plane is flying and then it just started tipping. It didn't go anywhere, it just started tipping and we took a dive and I'm like, oh I pulled it, get it back up flat, get it, finally got it back up flat and I go, now what do we do? So Dan grabs the manual. He starts reading in the manual and in the manual, it has this thing called coordinated turn. And we're, I'm thinking, what's a coordinated turn? I go, oh, I know, I gotta do both those things at the same time. So I pushed the right pedal and I turned the steering wheel and when I did, it, sure enough, it started to turn and then down we went. It went, it went down and pulled it back up, got it back up straight, got it back into control. I'm like, now what? And we're thinking, and we're thinking, I go, wait a minute. You know, back there, when you, when you pull forward and back, that's what makes it stop from dropping or climbing. I'll bet I gotta do all three of those things. <laughs> so this time I pushed the pedal, turned the wheel, and when it started to drop, I pulled back a little. And when I did, right around the corner we went. Turn around, now we're heading back. Got it flying level, going backward, going back towards uh, high pass. And we started calming down, stopped shaking, started feeling it, getting the hang of how how the thing works. It's really not the right time to be learning that. (laughs) So we started getting comfortable and start looking around and everything looked different. We have no idea where we are. (laughs) And so we're coming back, we're right over the highway and we start recognizing some roofs that that, uh, you know, been there for a long time. So we knew warehouses were, but never seen them from the top. And so then we saw the stores. When you we, when we saw the stores, we knew high pass has to be about two o'clock. So we start looking for high pass and we ain't finding it. It's not there. We're looking, we're looking and finally we spot it. Oh my God, it was about that big. <laughs> it looked like three postage stamps in a line. Like, where's no way we're gonna land on that. Oh, we didn't have a choice, so we kept going, went past high pass just a little bit, started turning, starting to get the hang of the coordinated turn. And when we turned back around, we were south of high pass. And I realized, oh, we got to get away from there in two directions. We got to get away from the runway so that we can get lined up with it, plus have enough room to, to descend. So we went back to the north. We went across the highway, and then we went two miles towards Chino Hot Springs. And then once we got out there, we turned back, and then we just 
I just placed ourselves where we were. I knew it was about this far from the highway to the runway. I just put us there. And we couldn't see it. It was too far, too far away. So then I slowed the motor down to, so we get about 100 miles an hour and we start descending. And we're just watching, we're watching, looking for the runway, and finally we see it. It's a little, it, we're not quite lined up, but we're close. And we get closer, I realize, oh yeah, we're still, we're probably still 500 feet in the air. We're way too high. And I told Dan, all right, let's just go around again, and then we'll do the same thing. So we went back, turned, come back, got the same distance. This time I slowed it down to 90. And so we're coming in, and, you know, starting to, you know, really getting the hang of learning how to fly here. And <laughs> as we got closer and uh, we finally spotted the runway, we were right in line and we're also about the right height because we're going right at the end of the runway. And we're getting closer, getting closer, and we're still up a, maybe a couple hundred or 100 feet probably when we go over those 50-foot trees. But we're doing 90 miles an hour, and when you're in the air, 90 miles an hour don't seem too fast. But when you get down close to a tree, 90 miles an hour is pretty fast. <laughs> so we come past those trees, and it was like, holy crap, we're really moving. And then as we got closer to the trees and closer to the runway, it started getting intimidating. So uh, I told Dan, let's just, we're lined up, we're in a good spot, let's just go around one more time, and then I think we got this. So... I guess I reverted back to the logging truck. Well, the logging truck had a throttle as well. But the logging truck, when you pulled out on the throttle, the engine, you, you, you were given it power. And the airplane is exactly opposite. <laughs> I grabbed the throttle and I, and I uh, pulled it out. And when I did, the engine went right to an idle. And all of a sudden, we just started diving. Like, oh, crap. And I pushed the throttle back in, but we were already going down. And, I, and when I did, I pulled on the wheel, pushed the throttle in, and the engine started to catch it, and right when it caught it, the wheels hit the runway, and I pulled the brakes and pulled the, stopped the motor. Like, oh my God, we landed it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we quickly just, we didn't even stop. We just took the plane back where we, got it from. Um, I couldn't even get the engine shut off. Dan dove out of the plane. <laughs> I thought he was going to kiss the ground. <laughs> I jumped, I killed the motor. I jumped out. I wanted to kiss the ground, but there was something behind me. And I reached out, what, what is that? And I yanked on it, yanked on it. It was my pillow. <laughs> I guess my butt cheeks grabbed my pillow so tight I wouldn't let him go. So I threw the pillow back in the plane and shut the door. We turned it around, tied it down. We really, I don't think we even talked. I don't remember even talking. We got in our cars and we left. I got home and my wife, Sophia, I, I'd calmed down. I got home, my wife, Sophia, when I came in the door, she said, so did you get anything done on the plane? I said, nah, nah, it's clean, it's in good shape. We just decided to take it for a spin. And she laughs, <laughs> yeah, right. And I walked in, the, I walked past her and I went, oh my God, she didn't even believe me. <laughs> but that didn't last too long because our friends Parley and Eldon Thompson came over about two, three hours later. And we're sitting there having coffee at the table and out of the blue, Eldon said, was that your plane I saw fly over the house earlier? 
And my wife looks at me and she goes, huh? <laughs> Boy, did I get in trouble. Yeah. A few days later, my Uncle Larry heard what he had done. Boy, was he mad. Rightfully so, because he probably would have felt a little guilty if something would have happened. So we eventually, we got, uh, we got lessons. Chris Catalone here in Fairbanks taught us how to fly. And about halfway through that, Chris looks at me and says, I heard what you did. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know what I'm talking about. You took that plane in the air. <laughs> and at least he didn't holler at me. That was good. So I want to help anybody that wants to learn how to fly. I can tell you exactly how to do it. <laughs> you get you a plane. You, you get you a manual for the plane, and you read that manual. And you, you want to remember everything, because the wrong time to be reading the manual is when you're in the air. <laughs> and once you're ready, you go find you an instructor because if you don't do something so stupid as I did back then, that's the stupidest thing I ever done. You need to go pay somebody a bunch of money and learn to fly the right way. Thank you. Richard Dickman, he shared that story at our March 2023 live event in Fairbanks. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Lessons Learned episode. I'm Rob Prince. In case you haven't figured it out yet, Alaska is not like much of the rest of the United States. Being so far from everybody else has given us a bit of a sense of being all on our own up here. And let's just say that skepticism of the federal government is not a super rare thing up here either. That's a lesson our next storyteller, Ryan, learned shortly after he moved up here when he had to go through a rather intrusive background check for his job with the government. He shared this very short but also very Alaskan story at our March 2023 live event in Fairbanks. My wife and I moved here around 2019, so a little over four years ago. When we got here, I got a call maybe a month after I started my job telling me that I needed to get my background check uh, redone. So I also work for the federal government, not the FAA. So, Rich, <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> And, uh, but if anybody here has worked for the federal government, you'll know that the background checks are like a little more intrusive than um, the typical background check that you get in the private sector. They actually will hire an investigator. A lot of times they're like a former federal agent and they'll interview you and then they like to go and talk to your family members though. And they also like to go out and talk to your neighbors. You know, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking and uh, you know, I'm like, well, I haven't really met my neighbors because we've only been here for like a month. And it's a little awkward because the questions they ask when they go ask your neighbor's questions are, you know, have you ever seen anything suspicious over at their house? Or have you ever seen, car, you know, see car, a lot of cars coming and going? Have you ever heard him talk about overthrowing the United States government? <laughs> <laughs> and like they, they, they really ask these questions. And so I was like, you know, I should probably meet these people and introduce myself and just let them know, like, listen, you know, like, I'm not being, like, criminally investigated. It's just a background check, so nothing to, to worry about. So I think a couple days after that, I got some mail in my mailbox that was addressed to my neighbor. It was, like, a, uh, some mail in a little package. And I was like, great, great opportunity to go, excuse to go meet this guy that I haven't met yet. So I, you know, go up his driveway and knock on the door. And uh, he comes to the door and, you know, very, what I came to learn was, like, a sourdough Alaskan, you know, maybe like 60 years old, long gray beard. Very nice guy, though. And we started talking. I gave him his mail. 
And uh, you know, I told him I'm Ryan, I live next door. And oh, by the way, you know, there may be a federal agent coming by um, <laughs> to ask you some questions about me. And before I can get any further, he puts his hand up and he stops and he goes, don't worry, they already came. I didn't tell him <laughs> And I was like, um... <laughs> And then he kind of winked at me and closed the door. <laughs> so that's, that's my story. <laughs> that was Ryan. He shared that story at our March 2023 live event in Fairbanks. Thanks so much for listening to Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska, the Lessons Learned episode. Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince. Story consultation by Lori Neufeld. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince.